I have a rather odd sermon for you today. It's actually, in my opinion, very unnatural for me. But as uh, I had a kind of a weird encounter with God a few weeks ago. And uh, this encounter with God is really affecting me. It's causing me to ask a lot of questions. And rather than trying to define the questions and teach them, I'm going to ask them with you. So here's what I mean by that. I, I did some research this week. And uh, if you would, I'm, uh, time out. I'm going to do that say by the bell thing from back in the day. Time out. Um, and it's actually, so, anyway, okay. Uh, I needed a coffee. If we are going to grow, we don't want to just grow more bodies in our church. Honest to God, that's not the heart of Jesus. That's not the heart of our church. We really believe in discipleship. We really believe in personal growth. Everyone say personal growth. How many of you want to grow spiritually? Raise your hand. Okay, put your hand down. Now, without joking, how many of you want to grow spiritually? Raise your hand. Okay, because it's going to require you to do some things this week if you want to grow. But I can promise you, what you sow is what you'll reap. I'm not talking about money. I'm actually talking about you helping me this week do some research. Now, as a pastor, I know that this week, some of you did not read your Bible one time. It's going to be hard for you to grow when you don't have a relationship with your Bible. This week, I'm going to ask some questions that I think are going to challenge you to grow. And I can promise you, I can promise you, as real as I know that God is, if you're willing to research this week, something will grow inside of you that you will learn and you'll get excited about and you will grow this week. Now, how many of you are willing to not read your Bible but study it with me this week. Raise your hand. Don't lie to me. Don't raise your hand if you just mean it. But I honestly think that this is something that can grow us. I'm not teaching you this Sunday and giving you the answers and telling you what the Bible says this week. I'm asking you questions this week, hoping that you'll research and grow. If you'll read your Bible, if you'll study your Bible with me this week, raise your hand. Fantastic. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, help. Amen. Okay, so uh, I did some research this week, and I found out that in Scripture, Jesus asked more than 300 questions in the four Gospels. He asked more than 300 questions in the New Testament. I was baffled by that. In fact, there are many websites that will lay them all out and number them one by one every question that he asked. I thought it was pretty cool. On top of that, I also found out that he was asked hundreds of questions, and he only answered three. With that being said, when Jesus is often asked a direct question, he oftentimes answers it with a question. And that's frustrating to me because I've actually found that to be very true in my life. And what I mean by that is in seasons where I have questions, I feel like I end up with more questions and less answers. I don't know if you've ever been in that season. God, how are you going to do this? What are you doing, God? When is this going to happen? 
What is it going to look like? Will she say yes? Oh, God. You ever been? Okay, go. So uh, maybe you're with me. All right. So here's the sermon starting now. I was met by a friend that is very devout. Devout meaning like in the New Testament, there would be Jewish devout people that prayed multiple times a day, that would read and study the scripture multiple times a day. And this gentleman is someone that would be known to be very consistent in the way that they serve, meditate, love, and study. I've loved this man from a distance for years, and he's been a good friend of mine. He approached me, and uh, there was a change in his life. He worked as a leader in, um, uh, as a first responder. He was a leader of, of many people. And uh, as a leader of first responders, he would read his Bible in front of all of his workers all the time, multiple times daily. And when this individual, hard times fell on him, I would see him not when the service was moving in this direction, but I would find him in a completely different atmosphere than what God was doing in the room. He'd be kneeling on the altar worshiping, crying, because he needed God to do something in his life. Does that make sense? He was very devout, very consistent, and very hungry for God, very faithful. And some things happened where he had a career change in his life, and he began to, he joined staff at a church that is growing uh, by every means necessary. So attendance was booming, offerings are growing, salvations are happening in this church. And, uh, and so for, as an outsider, you want to approach someone that is new to a staff, and you want to ask them, hey man, this looks really exciting, what are you doing? This is what a pastor does. I had an experience that's shaken me, and I'm going to ask you some of the questions that have come to me because of this. I asked him, what are you doing? And he said, I got to tell you, my experience is not what I thought. And I said, what do you mean? And he said to me, this bothers me a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. His response bothers me. And he said to me, what are you doing that's doing so well? How's this transition working for you? And he said to me, I got to tell you, ministry feels secular. That's all he said. Conversation shifted, and we had to enter the service, and I didn't talk to him again afterwards. I don't know what he meant, and I can't necessarily um, draw conclusions of what the church is doing or not doing. But I know that it's growing, and he said to me, it feels very secular. That breaks my heart. For someone that I know that has been able to serve in their career and serve the Lord, very devout with a lot of encounter, and then stop what they're doing and join the church and get a sense that they're not needing God to do it. Let me tell you then, I, I had to think about it. On my way home, I was with my wife and I said, uh, Teresa, can you please help me? Can you, can you look up the definition of what secular means? I think I understand, but maybe I'm not. This was the definition. Denoting attitudes, activities, and other things that have no religion, religious or spiritual basis. I'm going to tell you again. Denoting attitudes, activities, or other things that have no religious or spiritual basis. Uh, basically, if it's not very biblical 
and it's not very spiritual. My encounter is just very common and very normal and very about every day. This person thought it was going to be, I don't know what they thought was going on. Maybe they thought there was going to be more prayer or more healing or more going out and doing evangelism. I don't know what they thought, but what they said was it feels like there's, there's, nothing, there's no spirit and there's no religion to grow the church. Now stop there. This got me thinking. The question one that I, that I, the first thought that came to my mind as I started thinking, church should never be able to be done without God, period. Church should never be able to be done without God, period, or should it? Now, if they're growing and they're seeing so now I, I can't add to conclusions. I don't know what they weren't doing or what he thought they were going to be doing. But all I know is that he felt like it was without religion. You could take the book out and you could take the spirit out and you could still execute growth in the church without the Bible and without the spirit from his perspective. And I thought to myself, that should never happen, should it? And, and it bothered me, and it bothered me, and it bothered me, and it bothered me. Well, what if churches are growing all around the country, all around the world, and they're not using the Scripture, and they're not using the Spirit? What are we doing? Now, I got to thinking, well, if the church is growing, shut up. Right? I don't know. I mean, we want to see more people in the house of God, right? So, maybe I'm just religious, now, I told myself I was going to tell you guys about this passage of Scripture. Uh, I told you that I wasn't going to tell you, but I, I have to tell you. A couple weeks ago, Lacey um, prophesied a few words that, and visions that she had gotten for the church. And she was saying that one of the things that's happening in our church right now is that there, it seems like a merry-go-round. Like there's momentum happening, and at first it's going to take a lot of pushing, but all of a sudden it's going to get easier and easier. Am I, am I saying this right? And easier. And then all of a sudden it's going to be like there's liftoff, and, and oh crap, like hang on and get on as quick as you can because Gravity is having its way, and, and it's moving, it's moving, it's moving, it's moving, it's moving. And so as I thought about that, I, I, I this week did some research in Scripture, and I, the Lord took me to this book in the Bible called Zechariah uh, chapter 4, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase it for you, but I really felt like it was a prophetic word for the church. And so I had to share it with my wife, and I had to share it with Brady, and I feel like this is something that's going to continue to invade me. Zechariah was a story about a man who was rebuilding the house of God. And the Lord said to him that the rebuilding of, of the house of God, you should not despise small beginnings. Okay, it's powerful. And then the Lord said to him, but it won't happen by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. is the only way that the church is going to, to be rebuilt. I started asking more questions and asking more questions and asking more questions. And as, uh, as this would go on, he would talk more and more. And so as I, I just know that we need the Spirit, I believe, in order for this thing to grow right. But I've been in churches that were not growing, and they had the Spirit. So maybe there's a balance, like... Maybe we need spirit and we need wisdom and we need, I don't know, but this week I want you to know that I'm willing to learn. I'm going to ask questions, I'm going to study, I'm going to ask questions, I'm going to study, I'm going to ask questions, I'm going to study. Now, 
The church should never be able to be, be completed without God, right? And as I wonder, as people and pastors and ministries are doing everything they can to remove the Spirit from their church in order to grow so things don't get weird, and they are growing, why? Is my view of the Spirit just different? Am I religious? Have I had an experience that's different than everyone else, and now I'm stuck on my idea? I know this happens. I may not, this may not be the situation, but I do know that most of us are trained in a way of thinking that this is the only way that we can do this. And we'll repeat it and repeat. So you're doing it in your finances right now. You're, some of you are doing it in your marriage right now. You're repeating the same thing over and over and over again, and you're stuck that this is the way that growth takes place. So I'm asking myself, can you grow a church without God? I believe you can. I believe you shouldn't. I believe you can. I believe you shouldn't. That's, those are the only things I've come to in those two questions so far. My second question is this. Is there anything that we should be able to do without God? So stop the church and let's go to me and you. Me and you, me and you, me and you, me and you. Is there anything that we should be able to do without God in our life? And I don't know the answer to that. I'm going to go to Scripture for a second, and I'm going to come back. John chapter 15, it's my favorite chapter in the entire Bible. It is the best passage of Scripture in the entire Bible. If you are not reading the Bible right now, you should check this passage out. It's really good. Jesus is talking, and he's saying some pretty cool things. He says that I am the vine, and you are the branches. This is in verse 4 and 5. He says, abide in me, I'm sorry, in verse 4, and you and me. Abide in me, Jesus says, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. In other words, you've never seen a branch laying on the ground growing fruit unless it abides in, in the tree. You cut a branch off, it dies. This branch can't do it without this. I am the vine, you are the branches. No branch bears fruit without the vine. Here we go. I am the vine and you are the branches, verse 5. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Now, I had to ask myself, is that really true? Can I really do nothing without God? I don't think that's true. In fact, I think every day of my life, I do a lot of things without God. And this is something that's really bothering me at my core. When this guy says that he's doing church and it feels secular, well, I wonder how many of us are doing secular, secularly? How many of us are doing life without God? If Jesus says, you can do nothing without me, I find that untrue, but I find it true. Here's what I mean. You can do a lot of things without God. You can make money without God. You can, you can obtain wisdom without God. You can have a new relationship with another person without God. You can have kids without God. You can grow a church apparently without God. You can grow a business without Him. You can do a lot of things every day without Him. But I believe what Jesus is trying to say is it's not going to be fruitful without God. Now, I could be wrong. And you may have a different interpretation than this. 
But it scares me that I believe that the Holy Spirit exists for us and many of us are doing a lot of things every day without him. And Jesus is trying to say, you have to not sometimes connect with me. Because here's the deal about the tree and the vine. It's, it's not like he's saying you can detach and do stuff that's common, you know, like work. You can go and do math and, and, and sales or you can go ahead and do pub, uh, Starbucks and make tea. You can do that and then you just got to reconnect. You can't separate the branch from the tree and then all of, all of a sudden magically reconnect it and there'll be life again. This is what many of us do. We connect. We have awesome worship here Sunday. We leave. We do most of us in life on our own. And then we try to reconnect. And what I hear Jesus say in John 15 is that you have to remain in me. You have to stay in me. You have to stay connected in me. Because you can't do nothing on your own. Now, you may not believe that. The problem is if you don't believe that, you haven't hit rock bottom yet. You haven't found out the truth that you suck. I know that I, I am terrible. My wife has told me that. My kids have told me that. My friends and my coworkers and my pastor and my roommate, Scotty Bowden, has told me that. Other people have told me that I am my worst enemy. And if you haven't learned yet, the biggest problem in your life is not your partner that you're married to. It's not your kids that you can't seem to get two minutes away from. And so it's not your job. It's not your finances. The biggest problem in your life is you. But somehow, we've learned to do life on our own without him. And so I feel terrible for this guy that worked a whole career very diligently with God, led men, did great things, and then joined the church and was successfully able to do it without God. And I think to myself, how many of us are doing the same thing in your business or the same thing on Facebook, or the same thing in your marriage, and you're wondering why it's not working. We're hitting a wall, we're hitting a wall, we're hitting a wall, because there's this massive disconnect. The third thought that I had, do we as people understand the Holy Spirit and how to do life with Him? So this week I asked a lot of people, a lot of stuff. Uh, this week I, I started, I called friends, and I, it started uh, two weeks ago if you got a phone call from me. And I said, can you tell me what the purpose of the Holy Spirit is in your life? And I want you to know I learned a lot of things. I learned that a lot of us know a lot about the Holy Spirit. And we, we know, most of us know a lot about the Holy Spirit. Or some stuff about the Holy Spirit. We're a little about the Holy Spirit. And I think that that may be a pretty big problem strategically based on what I read in Scripture. And here's what I mean. Almost all of us uh, don't interact with Him as much as we probably should. I think I've learned that. And I think we all know a few things about Him. I think we don't interact with Him probably as much as we should. I think most of us know that we should want and need him probably more than we do currently. 
And then the fourth thing is that I think, though, lastly, as I read Scripture, I think that Jesus thinks that the Holy Spirit is a lot more useful and important than we do. In fact, as I look at Scripture, I think that Jesus, this is his blueprint for us, for everything that we do. And so I, I, what I'm learning right now in my life is I think that the church has a pretty big disconnect theologically with how we do Jesus and life and what I think Jesus is saying about how we do life and church and ministry and family and everything that we do. Maybe I'm wrong. And maybe I just grew up with a theology that's different than yours. But as I read scripture, Jesus makes a really big deal about him saying, I'm going to go away. I'm going to send someone to you. He's going to help you. And I think we all want his help a little bit. A little bit. Some of us have learned probably the best prayer in scripture or in life is that I can't do this without you. And then we stumble through the day doing it, forgetting to do life without him. Anyone else ever been guilty of this? I'm done. This is my close. Rachel, would you come? I did it, Rachel. I did it. I'd be so proud of you. All right, here we go. Here's, I have two questions for you, and I'm going to text you. If you have the app, this week, we're going to send you notification at least once a day, and I'm going to ask you another question and another question and another question, and my hope is that you would be bold enough to find answers on your own this week. Here's what I learned. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. You know, I've never known that. <laughs> I've quoted that about 500,000 times, and I didn't know it. What he means is the strength, the offense, the power to attack, take down, pierce, separate, and defend of the Spirit of God is in the Word. If we don't read the Word, we will have disconnect from the Holy Spirit. If you're not going to be on the attack, you'll be on the defense. And if you're not using the Word of God and you're on the defense, chances are you're going to be overcome. I don't want you overcome. I have two questions for you that I'm going to ask you. That I'm going to ask you to study this week. This is a weird message for me. I know it. Normally, I use 800,000 scriptures. That's why I did the offering teaching first, because it was really good. You know, all right, cool. Here we go. So, uh, point, question number one. What do I really need the Holy Spirit for? Really? What do I really need Him for? Now, at first, many of you are going to be tempted to be religious. And that's cool. But now, what do you really do with Him? Because he's not fake, he's not a formula, he's a person, and how do you interact with him? The second thing is this, how do I work with 
and utilize the Holy Spirit practically in my life. Because, let me remind you of something that that the Lord said. I will be with you always. But Jesus ain't following you. But he is because his spirit is following you. And I think that it's going to be really hard for us to do life fruitfully for him unless we learn how to utilize the only thing that matters. Does this make sense? Does anyone have a question about what I'm asking? I'm okay with it. Questions are okay. Can you this week study the Holy Spirit? Can you learn Him? Can you interact with Him? Can you think about Him? Because if you don't, I believe the biggest problem will not be how does the church grow without Him, but how do we as the church grow without Him? How have we been growing without Him? How are we doing life at all without the most important person in our life? So here's, here's my close. We can build the church and we can grow. And what, from what I'm hearing prophetically is that our church is growing. And I think many of you that are attending can already feel it. Like I'm not, I don't need to say anything. But we can continue to grow and we can do it on our own. But I think it'll be much more beneficial if we do it with the Lord. I say the same thing for you. You can keep going. And you may be successful by every visual term. You know, everything that people can see. But if you're not growing in the Holy Spirit, what He's the one that's going to shine light on all of the dark places that's going on in our soul. And you can listen to Him. You can do it on your own. This week, I'm going to ask you to study the Scripture with me. Find out who He is and what we need Him to do in our life. And then this. Thursday night, we're having a meeting to figure out how we get involved to grow our church and use our gifts. And then the last thing is we're having a prayer meeting here this Friday night. And I think if we do this thing right, our faces will be on the floor. Would you guys join me this Friday night at 7 o'clock? I love you guys.